loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Welcome to Good Grief. I'm Cheryl Jones, your host, and and I'd like to welcome you today. We talk each week about transformations that could come from loss. Today I'm talking with Tara Caffell. Tara's a writer, coach, and heart-centered advocate for couples and individuals. She's also a shaman of grief and transition and the gateway between life and death, grief and joy, creating spaces for bravery and conversations. Tara believes that in order to live a full and big life, we must make friends with our end as it walks with us through our time on earth, and she's here to support that. In her weekly podcast, Grief, a Love Story, Tara explores grief and death in brave conversations with her guests that serve to empower and educate and bring grief to be a conversation at the dinner table. Her first book of the same name is due out in 2018. You can find Tara online at TaraCaffell.com. Welcome, Tara. Thank you. It's so great to be here. So great to have you. Uh, You know, people who haven't experienced it uh, always find it an odd combination, grief and joy. Uh, But for me, of course, it's the fact that those two things can live together is no surprise at all. But I, I, I thought we should start with you just... Um, sharing with our listeners how you came to do what you do, and then we'll talk more deeply about what it is you do <laughs> a little uh, later on. Uh, okay, it's it's an intro. When I look at the story of how I got here, it's sort of fascinating to me that I I, I was picking up breadcrumbs all the way along, but I didn't know that that's what I was doing. So. As a kid, I was always interested in cemeteries and and reading about death and reading about grief and being in it and in a curious way. Um, and then I, you know, I went on to have a job and I became a coach and I was working with relationships and couples. And in the midst of that, my own relationship was ending, like a fourteen-year relationship with my with my husband, and we were figuring out how to be together in that. Um, because we had decided that it wasn't the end for us. We were going to stay in contact in some way. And so we moved on to become great friends. And this all began, really, this sort of switch in my business started in November of 2014. And that's when he phoned me and told me that he had attempted to take his life the previous weekend. Mm. And I remember sitting and sinking into the sofa when I was talking to him on the phone and I just decided in that moment, I became sort of galvanized, and I said, okay, well, I love you, and I'm now your lifeline, so we're going through this together, okay? I want you to know that. And and he was very quiet, but I could hear that he was crying, and, and from that moment, I was the person on the other end of the phone. I agreed to be that person for him. Um, to take him to the hospital, to check him into the, the psych ward um, near the end of his life. That's what we did. Uh, he went on to successfully take his life in May of the next year. Um, you know, after some hiccups and some encouraging moments, it was all all of that 
and it still ended the same way. I think that I always knew that he would end his life. Um, I was just hoping that I could put it off or stop it or, right, ever hopeful. So that's what landed me there. And, you know, and I lost my grandfather, my last grandparent earlier that year. And so I fell into this year of grief where I lost two more people before the end of the year. And I thought, this is not by accident. I can't be swimming in this for nothing. What is here for me? And, and then started to write and started to come out of it and ask the questions of myself and sort through it and certainly not make it go away or get over it, but put in a place where it was useful for me, where it was, where it was an alchemy to come out into a different space. So, so that's kind of where it began. There's, there are several things from the story you just told that stand out to me. One is you're not mentioning any early losses, but you're mentioning an early fascination. And that's, I would think, a bit unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know what internally or externally brought that about, but it does stand out. And then um, I'm so aware that, uh, you know, any any suicide... Um, one way, uh, one of my teachers, Stephen Levine, used to put it is, when someone commits suicide, they hang their skeleton in your closet. Um, oh, so, there, so true. There, there's a particular grief to that that I think is um, harder. And I mean, no grief is harder than another, but it's got unique qualities of really having, to, having to mm-hmm. deal with could I have done something? You know, all of that. Uh, so that really stands out. And then to be kind of swamped by grief and make a decision to make something out of it. All those things really stand out to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I did. I lost my first grandparent when I was 13. And I think that, I don't know if that was an instigating moment, but I remember being fascinated by the stories of people who had died, right? I loved reading obituaries and always have um, to hear the story of who someone was while they were here. Um, My grandfather was an interesting presence, and he died quite young. He was only 66, but he was in not great health. He didn't take care of himself. So I lived a lot of growing up with the stories of who he was and and the limited knowledge of, of who I knew him to be. You know, because I was 13, I wasn't a fully formed human yet. I was, you know, just <laughs> a teenager floating around and not sure yet. And and so I like to think that my grandfather's still with me and watching me grow up and watching all of this happen, and I think that's what's going on. Um, but I remember, you know, being kind of fascinated with, you know, Ouija boards and full moon rituals, and I think I was growing up in a very small town, perhaps the beginnings of a witch or of some court kind of... Uh, connection with the other side. Like, that's how I always felt very curious about that. And of course, I had zero resources and no Google at that time to really support me in that. So I made up a lot of it or, you know, had a lot of enthusiasm, but zero skills. (laughs) That's how we start out, isn't it? (laughs) It really is. Just trying it. (laughs) I, you know, I wonder if maybe too, I've never thought of this before, but, um, my dad grew up in a small town and I felt he was much, he had much more experience with death than I did. 
growing up uh, urban, away from our extended family. Uh, I just didn't have much exposure until I got older. But I think in a small town, you'd be likely to be aware of people dying because there are fewer people. Yeah. Well, I remember growing up, like there was only 5,000 people in my little town that I grew up in. And so when you heard the ambulance, you very often knew the person they were going for, right? Like it was an alarming thing that we would notice it. And mm-hmm. and so certainly, yes, we were we were always a bigger part of it. And I think because I grew up in that town and was born in that town, um, my family was quite entrenched in, in our neighbors and, and our friends and who, you know, who is in our community. And so I can remember conversations about who had died or you know, something had happened to so-and-so, and then my mom would remind my dad who his family was or, you know, who his parents were. So there was a very tight-knit co- connection to it, and I think um, I was aware of it early on. And then, of course, also sort of shielded from it um, in the way, like, I didn't have cable TV, I didn't have access to big newspapers, I didn't have access to social media that I do now, so I didn't see a lot of it perhaps in the world, but definitely around me where I was growing up. Mm. You know, the other thing I was wondering, Tara, is, uh, you know, you were, you had a quite a long, uh, I guess we'll say romantic relationship with your Mm -hmm. ex-husband and then became friends. But was it shocking to you when he, when he told you that he was so depressed or was that something that kind of fit with who you knew him to be? It actually really fit. Um, Brian and I were, I like to say now, wildly platonic people who got married. (laughs) Uh, Wildly platonic (laughs) soulmates. We were, I don't think, I don't know that we were as romantic. I don't think we were wildly in love at any point. Um, we really got along well. We were great friends the whole time we were together, which I think is how we transitioned so nicely when we weren't. Um, and one of the things that happened to him when he turned 40 uh, in 2008 was he, he got very depressed at that point um, to, the, to the extent that he was considering suicide at that point. Um, and you were and you were still married at that point. We were still married. We didn't split up until twenty, early twenty eleven. Uh huh. And so I saw the signs. I was actually in my coaching courses at that time. I was becoming a coach. So I think it was beautiful timing for me that I was surrounded by people who could support me and and really hold that space. Um, and I noticed him withdraw. He was writing this really secret document on our computer, and he would hide it on a thumb drive, and it was called 40, which was very cryptic, and he started pulling out of his life. He wasn't doing the things that he liked to do. He wasn't seeing his friends. He just was a shell of himself, and I felt like he was interacting with me in a way that he was missing, and I was just talking to some shell, and Mm -hmm. and I finally asked him. I was heading out kayaking for a weekend with some girlfriends. And so I was packing up the kitchen and getting ready to go, and and he sat down at the little bar in the kitchen, and I said, Brian, are you trying? Are you planning to kill yourself? I just put it out there to him because I'd been wondering, and 
and and he didn't say anything. He just got big tears in his eyes and looked down. And so then I said, okay, uh, I've been doing some research, and I want you to find some help. And here is a counseling, you know, directory to go through. We have that in Canada. And I said, and I want you to promise that you're not going to do anything while I'm away for the weekend because I do need to go kayaking. I had a really busy summer and had been looking forward to this for months and months with my friends. It was an annual trip. And, and so he agreed, I'm not going to do anything, I promise. I will be okay this weekend. And yes, I will find a counselor. Go. And so uh, on that weekend, I finally broke it to my girlfriends what had been going on because they'd been sort of on the periphery and I hadn't shared it because... It wasn't my story to share. And so they supported me, and I got home, and he got some help. And and things really switched for him at that point. He got a great counselor, you know, whom he really trusted and, and, and felt like he could shift things around, and he did. And then he went on, and then there was a, a big incident that brought this on in 2014. Um, somebody he'd been in a relationship with, ended it rather suddenly and and seemed to be acting in ways that were unkind to him. I don't want to say anything about her, but he he was heartbroken and lost and didn't mm-hmm. have answers and he just fell downhill really quickly and he tried so hard to get better. Um, so I knew this to be true of him that he had a tendency around this, that he had had a tendency to be depressed to to fall into that. And then in the wake of his death, I spoke with people who knew him, you know, 20 years ago. And he's, he'd been displaying that behavior since he was 19. He'd always had it as, a, as an option to take his life, to, to check out. You know, some of us don't have that in our, our vocabulary of what we could do, and I think he always did. Um, and when we split up, the first thing that went through my mind was, ah, my work with him is done. I kept him alive in 2008. That's one of the first things I thought, huh. was that that's why I was with him, and I'd done my job, and now we were moving on. So, it, yeah, I wasn't a stranger to it in any way. You know, one of the biggest mysteries for me as a counselor who works with you know, trauma and grief and loss and illness, uh, and maybe this is true of you as a as a coach as well, is the incredible mystery of of how some people either are born oriented towards growing through their experiences or learn how to do it, that some people do that and other people don't. I can't explain that. Yeah, you know, I can't either. I, I feel like it's a it's a, a piece of resilience perhaps that some of us have or some of us don't or it, or there's a blockage somehow because um, I don't think it's a conscious choice I think it's a it's a, a default that some people have that they don't um, they don't look for that opportunity to grow necessarily and it it's just a a piece of the wiring, but you're right. I, I don't understand it either, but I think it's there. I personally very grateful to be able to look at it that way because mm-hmm. otherwise life is a pretty difficult prospect, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It really is. 
So um, it's interesting because after all those losses and and that that period of grief, uh, you were still doing the same work where you were doing before that, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, and, I was still and I've coaching. talked to many people. Yeah. yeah, some people change entirely what they're doing. And other people right. change maybe how they do it. And we only have a couple of minutes left in this segment, but let's talk a bit about that for you. Did you find yourself different in the way that you um, offered coaching to people after that year of loss? Definitely, definitely. I, I, I found a lot of comfort in coaching. It's one of those things that even when I'm exhausted or sick or broken, I can get up and do um, it's one of those things that I plug into and it actually, you know, it energizes me and I know that I'm empowering someone else. So it did make me more fearless. It made me, it ma- I was tired. So I had less, I had less patience for baloney. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, it helped how I showed up. Definitely. That's interesting what you say, because, um, uh, in my own case, I was a counselor before my wife died, um, and and I was one of those uh, kind of earth mother sort of counselors, you know, uh, very, very patient, and, um, oh, we can, we can take as long as you like, you know, kind of, kind of right. attitude, uh, and when I went back, uh, uh, I got. I was more kick-ass. I have to say, you know, like if we could get somewhere faster, sometimes yeah, you like can't. There's an impatience so, to it. Why are we wasting right, time? Right, right. Right. I still have the patient gear if I need it, mm-hmm. but but um, it it isn't the first thing I try anymore. The first thing I try yeah. is, you know, uh, uh, let's do as much as we can. You know, life is short. And that still has remained somewhat for me. Yeah. I think it amplified who I was. I'm not the most patient person, but I was definitely nurturing. And I think it made the stakes be higher for my clients and the work we were doing. Well, let's continue with that when we get back because it's time for our first break. Uh, Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America to like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, connect on LinkedIn, etc., etc. And to find Tara Caffell, go to Tara Caffell at C-A-F-F-E-L-L-E dot com. Be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Relationship issues, anxious, parenting challenges, no more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN. The Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Terika Fell, who is a coach who works with grief and has a book coming out this coming year, Grief, A Love Story. Love that title, Tara. (laughs) So um, we were talking about, you know, how big grief experiences change how we do things, not just what we do. I've certainly interviewed a lot of people who changed what they do altogether um, because of a, uh, profound loss but there's also continuing looking as if you're doing the same thing but it doesn't feel the same at all exactly I I knew that I was doing what I meant to do I'd really settled into that a long time ago coaching has always felt like a somewhat of a calling right the helping others to reach freedom and empowerment and you know raw raw and all that um, but it's definitely deepened my work in a way that I didn't expect Um I took a fair bit of time off as soon as uh, Brian died. I, I wasn't able to work for a few months. I wasn't able to focus or really think very hard. Um, and I, I came to a place of sort of surrendering to what was going on. And and at the end of that, I, I started writing to feel like I, I could clear some of it out. And in that, I found... The next love of my life, I fell in love again. I made some big changes. I went after, I took the reins, right? I, I, I'm someone who likes to make plans and feel like I'm in control, even though I keep trying to surrender. <laughs> it's a funny <laughs> little job I do. That's a paradox, um, huh? <laughs> so I, I decided to hike the Grand Canyon. So I did that in the spring of, of the following year. And I did the West Coast Trail, which is about a... 76 kilometer uh, hiking trail in British Columbia here in Canada. I did that. And so I took on these sort of challenges to get back in my body and to sort of take command of it in some way while I worked through. And I know that being outside is really powerful for me. So I, I did that as well. And sort of at the end of this, I find myself almost by accident a lot more powerfully showing up for my clients 
in a lot more spiritual way, in a lot, um, kind of in a bone deep way. It's not anything to be about, um, you know, accountability or, you know, the fluffy ways that people want to change their lives. And not to say that that's ever wrong. We all need to start somewhere. But, you know, I took it to a much deeper level almost immediately and fearlessly with my clients and attracted a whole different kind of person to me. And then um, it all really switched. I was in Texas for a course, not a course, like a conference, uh, earlier this year in March. And I met some people who just started flipping things on their ears for me. And I walked away going, okay, my business has to be very different now. <laughs> and, yeah. and that's when I really started to think about publishing the book and, and bringing the podcast to life and having these conversations. Like, I don't think it's an accident that I'm able to have them and that I can have them with compassion and empathy and be able to, you know, ask the questions and sit in an uncomfortable place. Um, and to guide people around that. And so I embraced it. And so I, I'm definitely doing what I was always doing, but now I'm doing it in a much thicker, deeper, denser, more amazing way. So the one word that just poked out there was compassion because, um, you know, counseling and coaching are related fields. Mm-hmm. There are some differences, mm-hmm. but we're trying to, guide change or witness change, be there for change, basically, in our different ways. Mm-hmm. And um, but I but I also feel it takes compassion that sometimes people can't change. Like those two months after he died, that was not about change. That was about, you know, s- s- being submerged, right? So yeah. and the way you were talking about it sounds like you really, recognize that there was really no other choice at that point. So I'm guessing that would make you better able to accept that in other people, that there are these moments where we just can't do it. Yes. And, And how, like I always, I say of that year that it brought me absolutely to my knees, um, that I, I didn't know where to go. Like even at the end of the year, my brother invited me for Christmas and I remember answering, no, I'm broken and I can't and I need to go take care of myself and I will see you in January. And so it it showed me that, yes, it, like it crumbles us. It actually makes the floor feel like it's gone. And I don't know that I would have understood that before in such a a bone deep way, right? I just mm-hmm. I knew it in a way that that you couldn't have explained. And now, yes, I get to bring that to people, like a true understanding of, oh, like that's the hardest thing ever. Mm. And then, and then there's also, you know, there's the death grief. There's the death when uh, the death grief when people die. But then there is also living grief, and and we are immersed in that, right? We. We have things ending and beginning all the time, and with each one of them, there's grief. I was just talking to a friend of mine who has a ten and a half month old little guy. He was very wanted and and is so loved and waited for. And holy moly, there's a lot of grief about 
the life she used to have and the life that they don't have now and <laughs> yes. what is not available because of this little person. And right, as she said, it's it's a big sandwich of of grief and love and joy all mixed together with a baby giggle on the top, right? And, and <laughs> so and well put. Life is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, so I think we're surrounded by grief in so many ways. And if we can embrace, if we can look at it, if we can be with it, offer it compassion and space, it's here to show us stuff. You know, I I like to think that there's a way that, uh, living with grief has to do with being able to experience what seem like contradictory states of mind at the same time. And I, I hear that in what you're saying about your friend. You know, there's, there's I'm, I'm a parent, there's such deep joy when you have a child, and there's also difficulty, you know, and, and mm-hmm. grief and loss, as you're saying, and, and it all has to live together uh, without oh, excluding yeah. anything. And, and actually, I found moment. that... Yeah, and actually I've found that even more profoundly in, for instance, when my wife died. Um, that was not all sorrowful for me. I had a tremendous amount of gratitude and, and love and um, awe in that experience. Of course, I had a lot of time to prepare. That's really different from from a sudden loss, but I was so surprised by that that it kind of went in all directions. I, I think I first experienced that. Brian's mom died in 2002. She, was, she had uh, colon cancer, so it was quick that she died over the course of a few months, really. Um, and he was an only child, so it was up to us to pick up the pieces and clean out her house, and she was kind of a hoarder, so she had a lot of stuff. And mm-hmm. I remember, you know, we were both in a very in a lot of grief dealing with her estate and her house and her not being in her house anymore. And, and we'd be in separate rooms cleaning. And then one of us would burst into laughter and the other one would come running because we found like a can of money somewhere or (laughs) one of her ridiculous ways of being in the world was that she didn't trust banks. So she had, you know, boxes and containers of money. I was always terrified. We're throwing things out that were important, but so you would just laugh at these these isms, right? Like, oh, here she is again, right? She just popped up to remind us that life is kind of funny. And, and yes, she's gone, but look at this, right? Or the 25-year-old fruitcake that we found in the basement that was too good to eat, things like that. Um, <laughs> that was the first time I kind of noticed there's a duality here. Like, you're allowed to feel sad and to laugh. Like, we all love to laugh at a funeral. Think about it. You know, somebody says something funny about the person that, you know, a way they were in the world that was hilarious or that we laughed with them while they were here. And everyone likes to have that release and those things live together. I think that yes, they, yes. they, make, they make each experience sweeter. You're, you're reminding me that once a client of mine died, uh, I work with a lot of people with cancer. She died of cancer. We, we had worked together a pretty long time. So I went to the memorial, and she had gotten one, her, one of her friends, who's a comedian, to perform at her memorial. I love it. It was, <laughs> it was tremendous. And the person 
you know, started out by saying, I don't know how I'm going to be funny, but then she was hysterical. And so the whole place was in stitches. And yeah. I and I thought that was just so, um, obviously I've remembered it. That was a very long time ago. Um, it, it was profound in its, um, seeing her present, actually, because mm-hmm. she had chosen that. She yeah. wanted everyone to laugh. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and she got her wish. Everyone laughed. <laughs> We That's couldn't a help beautiful it. Beautiful idea. I really love that. It's it, well, and I think it's so healing, right? To like, yes, we're sad, and and profoundly so, and and we also love this wonderful person, and we get to celebrate that too. And these things live together; they absolutely do. So I'm going to make a little bit of a transition here. I want to. Um, kind of circle back to something that was in your uh, biography that I want to talk more about because you called yourself a shaman of grief and transition, mm-hmm. which is a which is a, a standout kind of thing to say about yourself, right? Uh, especially, especially not, I, I don't know what your background is, but you're not obviously from a shamanic tradition in your... Um, uh, ancestry, maybe, maybe you well, are, and I don't really. know. <laughs> but could you talk some about that? How you think of of that expression, shaman of grief yeah. and transition? Well, I, I'm sort of I'm in I'm I'm at the beginning of a shaman shamanic journey. With um, I work with a mentor, and we are exploring. Um, we're exploring all of that. Um, so what she found, the, the shaman I'm working with, she did a reading of me, of, of sort of who I am and my energy with my ancestors and so on, and and we found that, that yes, I have this sort of, I am in the gateway of people who are dying. Like, I get contacted by people who are dying. It was kind of unsettling. I would be working at night and... Or going to sleep, and I would wake up, and suddenly somebody would be in my head taking up space, and I would look them up, or I would reach out to their person who I knew, you know, was missing them. For instance, like my my friend's mother was dying last December, and she came to me. Um, She was sort of chattering at me one night, so I messaged him and said, I don't know if your mom's gone or if she's having a hard night. She'd been in hospice. I said, but I wanted you to know I've just I've lit a candle and she's been chattering with me and and here it is. And in the morning he messaged back and said, she's doing okay. She's stubbornly not leaving yet. She won't go, but thank you and, and I'll keep you posted. And she died not even 12 hours later. And so, and that just stopped me in my track. So, it felt like every conversation I was having was with someone who had just lost someone or, uh, and then I was having these sort of energetic things happening. So it was, it was too much to not pay attention to. And so I started asking the questions and, and speaking with the shaman, she said, absolutely, you're this gateway. There's a reason they're coming to you. It's so that they can be ushered over. So that's what I'm really learning to do is to be a bit of a bridge between these two places, and also for the living, 
between intense grief and and sort of that bittersweet joy where we sit on the other side of it and we're still in grief but we can access a a more joyous place at having been with that person and having had that experience. Mm. Um, so I'm at the beginning of my shamanic journey. Certainly I do not have a background of it. I told this to people I know and they went, you're what? Right? So um, <laughs> it's a bit of a surprise for me. Um, but I felt very drawn and very sort of called to it. And it feels like home to, to learn how to talk to my people who have left before me to to love my land in a different way. That was one of the first things we worked on was really being in community with the trees on my my property. I have a quarter acre, so it's not a huge yard, but I do have pretty mature trees and growth and sort of being with those and being outside and really connecting to the energies and the rivers and the elements. And that's been an incredible piece and and one I keep unwrapping and loving. I have the fantasy that one thing that probably escalated a lot for you in grief, and of course this does happen for lots of people, is courage. Because it does take some courage for a, you know, a coach who, who uh, I think of coaching as, um, you know, making a plan and uh, people commit to certain actions and. For some, it's fairly linear, right? Here's our goal, and here's how we get there. And then to Mm -hmm. throw in the word shamanic could um, make you or break you a little bit, I guess. (laughs) You know? Um, So just that's the truth, so you say it. Um, You know, I feel that's uh, those kinds of following breadcrumbs. I've actually used that expression myself many times. Um, That, to me, does seem connected somehow with uh, having the linear part of our lives sort of interrupted by grief. It, do you experience it like that? And, I, and I'll just get started because we have to take our, our next break uh, in a second. But d- is that familiar to you? It is familiar. Um, uh, well, yes. <laughs> I think well, let, let's, it is. No, go yeah, ahead. Let's go to break. You can go to break. Yeah, let's go to break, and then and then we'll come back and talk about that because I, that's one of the things I've had reinforced over and over with this show, and I'm really interested to hear your thoughts about it. So we'll come back to that. Time for our second break. I'm at weatheringgrief.com or at my host page, and you can find Tara Caffell at tarafcaffell.com. C-a-f-f-e-l-l-e.com. Back after the break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm talking with Tara Cafell, who does a podcast and has written a book called Grief, A Love Story. And before the break, Tara, we were talking about um, this sense of... uh, surrendering more to breadcrumbs and following them after you've been through a big loss experience. Uh, I'm connecting it with that thing you described about just sort of feeling as if you're in the middle of the ocean, you know, uh, almost drowning. All you can do is put um, one hand in front of the other in in a way. Um, But I wondered how that is for you. Do you find that you trust those intuitions more or you know how did that change for you I I think that it it pronounced everything more loudly to me I I did start looking like in the moments after Brian died um, people said oh he's talking to you or I had a talk with him and I thought okay that's really creepy is he in my house is he watching me I I wasn't sure where to go with that Uh (laughs) And then I started to actually just chat with him, and I would feel I would feel him in the room. And I think it because I was cracked open, it left me open to so much that I would have missed um, in my, you know, rushing about, running my business, running my life kind of busyness. I think I would have missed a lot of it, and so I was cracked open and kind of raw and. Well, and really vulnerable and exhausted and and sort of on the edge. And I think I realized that the whole world was a bit oracular, right? Like I could get information from um, picking up a rock if I wanted to. You know, if I was at the beach, I would make it be meaningful by commemorating that moment with a rock, right? If I'd had a big idea or a, a moment. Um, and so I started to see that there were really there were messages all over, and and I just had to listen. Um, life became a little more, hmm, like let's think about an Oreo cookie versus a like amazing chocolate cake made by Martha Stewart, right? Like <laughs> it was dessert versus dessert, and that's how it started to feel that it was this really succulent thing. If I just looked at it and slowed down, I would hear it. And uh, I've heard so many great things. Um, And I have a theory that when we die, it is for a thousand reasons. 
Um, not to say, oh, everything happens for a reason, because that's the most annoying expression ever. But, <laughs> but I think that when someone dies, everyone who knew that person becomes a part of the story and gets to take from it what they see. I don't, and we don't know what that will be, right? And nobody intends for it necessarily. But like, even when I hear the story of how my partner's father died 11 days before I met him, or no, his funeral was 11 days before, sorry. But, but I never met this man, never. I've only seen photos and heard stories, but I'm a part of his life because I've heard his story and I allowed his death to inform something about how I made a choice or said certain things or gained some wisdom, right? So I think we all can be a part of each other's lives and deaths if we allow it. And, and there's messages everywhere. That's so familiar to me. My, my uh, second wife's father died a few months before my first wife died. So the night we met, that's what we talked, one of the things we talked about, those two losses. And, um, you know, we talked about spirituality, death, and children. Those were our first three conversations. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> talk about, you know, not holding back. But um, I feel as if I, we've been together 20 years now. I, I definitely feel as if I know her father. Mm. And... And he was dead, you know, almost two years before we met. But yeah. he's so present in her and her siblings and her mom that um, sometimes I forget I never met him, to right. be honest. And it, that's an incredible uh, experience. Yeah, and, and, and it reminds us that we're all connected and intertwined. We are. They're, we just are. Whether we met or not, whether we grew up in the same town or not, we are all connected. And especially by this experience, guess what? We're all going to land in the same place. We're all going to die. Mm. Right? There's community in that and, and shared experience even when we haven't met people. So before I let you go today, um, let's talk about your coaching business a little bit because I can see that they're connected but we've talked about them sort of separately and I don't get the impression having spent time on your website that you specifically work with people uh, because they're in some kind of grief or trend obviously they want some transformation but um, how do you think those two things intersect for you? Well, this is, I start this out on the podcast each time as I say, what is your grief story? Because we all have one. Um, like a client may come to me with, I'm stuck, right? I am stuck. My business isn't moving or my relationship is weird or whatever it may be. And, and often we'll find some grief there. We'll find something that ended that we didn't pay attention to. Or mm. in a couple, we'll have them, you know, happily having babies and moving on and yay, life is great. And what is wrong here? There's something that's sticking and we're disconnected. And it's that, ah, she moved across the country for him so that he could take this job and she left her family behind and there's some grief there. And so there's these layers of grief that, that are, I think they underpin so many things that go on in relationships and in lives and in how we think about things 
that once we can look at them and dig at them a little and give them some space, then we get to learn from them and, and be empowered and free together. So that's how I fold it in, really. It's, it, you're right. It's not just about death. It's not just about grief from loss. It's, it's where does the grief thread live in our lives just sitting there. That that resonates with me because uh, I've said it a lot of times there's no client that I sit with, even if they came to see me for something that seemed completely unrelated, that I that I don't work with from a grief perspective. Yes. Uh, it it's pretty much universal. Even if someone has, let's just imagine some kind of very severe biological depression as if we can ever know if it's entirely that but you know it it appears that way well losses come out of that too yeah Uh, so it's always a helpful lens to me so i i um i resonate with what you're saying there yeah well and and even our expectations right like um a friend of mine has a son who's difficult, who's very difficult, who doesn't fit into the, the, the picture of what she hoped it would look like to have two kids, right? And she said it's combative and it's difficult and he doesn't, he doesn't work properly, right? He feels broken. And so she's had to really let go of what parenting looks like and, and embrace this new way of being and why he's here, and looking at that, and how to support him, and, and so much, so much of what we expect or set up is, yeah, underpinned by, by what, what will never be anymore, whether that's a human life or a situation we counted on. Because pictures in our heads are actual things, they're real. Oh, yeah, so. oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I, I, that may be, you know, one of the things we resist most is changing our idea of what was going to happen. Um, right. Yeah, especially with parenting, because you you never have the kid you imagined when you were thinking of having a kid. You have no. some person. Well, well, and we buy into this, right? You know, what parenthood looks like, or what a family looks like, or how great it's going to be. And then we're afraid to admit that sometimes we hate it, or right, we love this person with everything, but you know, it's it's isolating, or it's a big change, or we gave up a career for it, or whatever happened. And yeah, we don't often have permission to to grieve it because we should be happy, we should be blessed, we should feel gratitude, yes. right? And so there's all these mixed signals that we get as well. Uh, I, I had a classic uh, experience of that, which I've never forgotten. My oldest child is 37 now. When she was maybe six months or eight months, something like that, I was saying to a friend who didn't have kids, God, I'm so tired. At, to which my friend said, and of course, I, I was already out. I had a kid very intentionally as a lesbian. And mm-hmm. she said, but you chose it. So for me, that's an example of what you're talking about, that somehow uh, if we 
if we're happy about doing something, we should have no negative feelings about doing it. Right. <laughs> and I was both happy right. and exhausted. <laughs> What's the truth yes, of it? There's, you're allowed the duality, right? I feel like yeah, some I can, people are yeah. only allowed to have one emotion I, at a time for them to deal with. Like, what do you mean you're disappointed? I thought you were happy. Yeah. I'm both of those things, Wait, I actually. I wanted to do this. <laughs> <laughs> That's a grand example. Oh, I think I said something back to her, like, yeah, but I'm still tired, <laughs> you know? <laughs> So, uh, you know, the tyranny of what we're supposed to be feeling or thinking or reacting with is can be pretty strong sometimes. Yeah, well, and it's the backbone of this, right, is I want, I want, you know, if I could, if I'm making wishes, I would love for the whole world to be able to feel whatever you feel, even if it doesn't make sense to someone else, and to be seen in those feelings and to explore them and be with them. And then let go of them when it feels right to, right? Like to move on to the next feeling. And I think we get stuck in what we're allowed or or what is right or shame around how we feel. And that's where things get messy. Um, So agree with that. Absolutely. So we'll both be, you know, torches for uh, permission, (laughs) I guess. Yes. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And so... uh, your book is going to come out soon, and then that'll be another piece of all this, won't it? It will. It will. I'm just in sort of the, the editing. I'm mired in editing and rewrites, and and it really is an exploration of all the grief. It's the some of the story of what got me here, but also these these other grief threads that exist in in our lives and are wrapped around us, and and it really is a love story if we choose to look at it that way and 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 i say love by you know sometimes we hate the things we love and sometimes we don't want to be with the things that we love but we are with them like if you told me again that i would have to go through more more loss and i know i will one day i I brace myself because it was so incredibly hard but as much as I would love to have the people back in my life who are not there anymore, I wouldn't trade these experiences. I actually, I do love what I've learned, and I love what I've found out about myself from these tragedies. Um, and, and I'm grateful that I was able to sort of have the wherewithal to do a little bit of that and, and will continue to. Um, and so that's what I want the book to be, is, is a bit of a gift around, look what's happening to you, and it's not the end of the world, and it won't kill you yet. <laughs> well, <laughs> it will. But, um, and not but to right mention, now, you, you wouldn't be feeling yeah. this way without love. Yeah. I think grief, oh, somebody sent this to me. L- grief is love, deep, 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 profound love that has nowhere to go. Mm. Um, until we express it. And and it's for a person who is gone. Like, every year, I pretty much every year, I buy Brian a birthday gift because I forget he's gone, right? And and then I remember, oh, he's not here. So I well, offer that's it to so someone. nice to do, isn't it, Tara? Yeah. We're going to have to, we're gonna have to um, settle it there for now. Let me know when the book comes yeah. out, and I'll let people know. Thanks for being with I me. Will. Thank you, and you so can- much, Cheryl. Absolutely. Tara is online at TaraCafell.com.
Next week, I'll have Kate Kendall. Kate's the executive director of the National Center for Lesbian Rights, which continues to be instrumental in the litigation of landmark cases affecting the rights of LGBTQ people. We'll talk about that and also her upbringing as a Mormon and what it took to... um, accept herself and move forward with the life she was meant to live. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.